be in 1 Thessalonians tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and uh, find your place there with me in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, and we're going to read the first nine verses um, for our study together this evening, a a sermon uh, that uh, I have entitled, if you would, uh, basically, do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to make a difference? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you found it, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 together before we begin our study this evening. The Bible says, For yourselves, brethren, know that our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Father, tonight as we look at the Apostle Paul and his testimony of ministry. Father, we look at the fact that the Apostle Paul made a difference in the lives of uh, the church there at Thessalonica. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to be open to, to, to the teaching. Lord, to the applications of how we as a church might make a difference for you and for your glory. Lord, help us tonight to hear and heed what you'd have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So when you consider Paul and his ministry to the church of Thessalonica, I think it's important for us to understand his his original contact with this church and with this city was really only for about three weeks. In the book of Acts, we see that he was there and he reasoned with them three Sabbaths. And so we see that he had about three weeks in the location. And almost immediately... The Jews that were there created a heated and violent mob environment in order to try to shut down the Apostle Paul and what God was doing. So much so that it says in Acts 17 in verse number 5, speaking of Paul's time there, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Now that is a great description if I have ever seen one took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. Man, you just get a picture in your mind, don't you? No offense, Jack, but they're stepping off of motorcycles. All right? 
No offense, but they're wearing leathers. I mean, they got the chains, and they are ready to rumble. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baster sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Because of this, the Bible says that Paul was then sent away, really, for his safety. You jump down to verse number 10 of Acts 17, and we see, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul had about three weeks in which to minister in this city. Now, here's the thing. Three weeks isn't much time. Right? Three weeks is not much time. And yet in that time, Paul had made a major impact. So much so, we see in verse 1 of our text tonight, he says, You know that our coming was not in vain. It wasn't empty. It wasn't without effect. In fact, we could go so far as to say Thessalonica was forever different because Paul had been there. But here's the thing. Such an impact as was made at that church, it doesn't happen by accident. How many of us tonight, by way of raised hand, would say, you know what, I want to make a difference with my life. I want to make an impact with my life. And you know what, that, that statement right there has so many applications. Because, you know, we can say, you know what, I want to make an impact in this community. I want Clyde, I want Sandusky County to be forever changed because the Harvest Baptist Temple was here. You know what, we can say that I want my family to be forever changed. Because I was here. You know what? Many of us have children. Many of us have grandchildren. Spouses that God has given us the opportunity to do what? To impact for His glory. Say tonight, I want my family to be different because I was in it. I want our church to be different because I'm in it. I got to thinking, you know, if I'm not seeking to make an eternal impact in the landscape around me, then what am I doing? What am I doing? But here's the thing. This kind of impact doesn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by accident in Thessalonica. It won't happen by accident in Clyde. It won't happen by accident in your house. It won't happen by accident in this church. So tonight I want to see a couple of principles. What's it going to take to make a difference? Let's look together verses 1 and 2 as we kind of unpack this. The Bible says, For yourselves, brethren, know that our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. What's it going to take to make an impact? Number one tonight, it's going to take some grittiness. It's going to take some grittiness. The Apostle Paul was one tough dude. He was one tough dude. You look at the testimony about what this man went through. We see a snippet of this, 2 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23. Look at this. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. He says, in labors more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice suffered shipwreck, a night and day have I been in the deep. 
in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So the Apostle Paul lists all these other things, and then he looks at him and says, and above all these other things, i got to put up with your foolishness every single day. The Apostle Paul was one tough dude. I'm thinking like maybe the first time I got beat with rods, I'd be rethinking life choices. But not the Apostle Paul. Over and over and over again. When he says here in verse number 2 of our text that he had been shamefully entreated, it has the idea of meaning to suffer both insult and injury. Meaning both emotionally and physically he had been attacked over and over and over again. Now here's where the disconnect happens sometimes. Sometimes we hear these things and we, we picture Paul like he was built like a gladiator or like some sort of MMA style. And he gets beat with the rods and he just steps up and boy he's got the muscles and he's big and strong and that's not what Paul was at all in fact 2nd Corinthians 10 in verse number 10 we see a description he says for his letters they say are weighty and powerful but his bodily presence is weak that's what all men want to hear about themselves right and his speech contemptible this man wasn't a gladiator he wasn't an MMA star he wasn't built like a rock he was a small, unimpressive man who had little to no, apparently, physical charisma. But Paul's toughness and tenacity, it wasn't an outward thing. It was an inward thing. Because it was in here and because it was of God, you know what? They could hurt him, but they could not hinder him. They could smack him down, and they did. But they couldn't shut him up. The word bold there, when he talks about speaking boldly in our God, it means to speak without reserve. Here's the thing, church. You want to make a difference? You want to make a difference? It's going to take some grittiness. It's going to take some steadfastness. It's going to take some tenacity. It's going to take some taking up your cross daily. And following him. It's going to take some, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, uh, uh, enduring hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus, serving Jesus, making a difference in Jesus' name isn't easy. By the way, Scripture promises us it won't be. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 19, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world is hateth you. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall be blessed with wealth beyond measure. Shall suffer persecution. Okay. It's a Wednesday night. Sometimes it surprises me that it surprises me. You ever been there? Like, that shouldn't surprise me. But if the world hates me, why am I surprised when the opposition offers opposition? 
Why am I surprised when the opponent pushes back? When Paul says there in verse number 2, I love how rich God's word is, don't you? When he says there at the end of verse number 2 that they were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. You know that idea of much contention? It has the idea of a sporting event. Like like these teams battling back and forth in a sporting contest. We had basketball games here last night. The Bowling Green Lions came to visit. And you know what they did? I couldn't believe it. I coach our junior high team. That other team had the audacity to come into our facility and play hard against us. All four quarters. How dare they? Don't they know we want to win? Don't they know this is our house? Don't they know we've been practicing and working on... Don't they know we're trying hard? How dare they come in here and play hard against us? We're not at all surprised when the opposition on the basketball court offers opposition. Oh, and yet, though, when the world looks at us and says, fill in the blank, how quick are we to tuck our tails and run and pout and whine and woe is me. And Hang on, folks. If we're going to make a difference, this is going to take some grittiness. Living for Jesus. Scripture promised it wouldn't be easy. So let me ask you tonight, what does it take to stop you? What does it take to shut you down? Let me ask you, what does it take to stop you in your ministry? You know, God has gifted you. God has gifted you for ministry. If you are a child of God, the Spirit of God has gifted you for ministry. What does it take to stop you? What does it take to stop you from serving Jesus? What does it take to stop you from reaching out to others, from touching others' lives, to giving out the gospel? What does it take? The threat of punishment and pain? What if the city said, you can't pass out gospel tracts anymore? What would we do? Oh, well, okay. Let's tuck our tails and run. Well, you know, I, I, what, what would we do? What would we do if they said, you keep preaching, thus saith the Lord? You have the audacity to say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Fast forward, and male and female created he them. What, what if the government said, you have the audacity to say that? We're going to shut down your church. We're going to take away your 501c3. We're going to X, Y, Z. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, threat of punishment, threat of pain. What does it take to stop us? What does it take to stop you? You know, here's the thing, though, and I I just, this is kind of like self-check. You know, we we look at, well, if they threaten punishment, if they threaten pain, I'm going to be like Paul. I'm going to be singing praises at midnight. Amen. But here's the thing. I see people walk away from ministry all the time because they don't think they get the results they should. Well, folks aren't coming. This isn't happening. That's not happening. Wait a minute, you're telling me you'd keep doing it if they beat you over the head, but you won't do it because you don't feel like you're seeing the results you deserve? I see people stop for lack of results. I see people stop from lack of recognition. Well, if they're not going to mention I pushed the broom, I'm not going to push the broom anymore. I see people stop from lack of excitement. Well, this just doesn't thrill me like it used to. I see people stop for length of time. Well, I've been doing this X number of years. 
Time for somebody else to do it. I put in my time. If God moves you to a different ministry, wonderful. But you don't get to pick your retirement day from the ministry God gives you. He gets to pick it. What does it take to stop you? Oh, we're the government can't stop us. They can't. Blah, blah. But ooh, so often, it, it, we don't even rise to here. We're right here and we're, oh, I just don't know if it's worth it anymore. I don't know if I can keep doing it. You want to make a difference? You got to get gritty. I'll make some applications tonight to the family. I think the Lord's really leading me that way. And Man, I got three points to get through. I know I always have too much to say, but tonight I really have too much to say. So, Here's the thing, moms and dads. Here's the things, grandmas and grandpas. Those of us who have the opportunity to work with kids every day, to disciple kids. Parenting ought to be discipleship. You got to be gritty if you go do the job. Because here's the thing. You're going to correct Junior once, and he's probably not going to respond. Well, that doesn't work. I tried it. It doesn't work. No, you see training. It says train up a child. Here's the thing about training. If I go to the gym one day and run a mile, I go to the gym one day and get under the bench press, and I wake up the next day and I don't look like Arnold. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. No, no, I did what he said and it doesn't work. No, what's the thing about training? Training is day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. You picking it up? Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Here's the thing, moms and dads. We're not always going to want to keep the standard here. And sometimes it's hard. It's not always well received by those who we are called to parent. But here's the thing. God's way works. And somebody's got to hold the line. Somebody does. But if we're going to make a difference, boy, it's going to require some grit. It's going to require some backbone. What does it take to stop you in your ministry? By the way, parenting is ministry. Here's another one. Not just in our ministry. Let me ask you this. What does it take to stop you in your membership? Speaking here of church. I know I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd, right? But it's good for all of us to think about. What does it take for you to stop? What, what would it take for, for you to stop church? Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me preface all of this with this. Sometimes God moves people, right? Sometimes God moves people from this church to another church, and if God moves them, I can't be disappointed with God's will. I can't. And I can't be the Holy Spirit for them. And so I understand Harvest isn't the only good church in the area. And so if God moves somebody, that's between them and God, and I cheer them on as they follow Jesus. Sometimes God moves other people from places here. And again, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but if God does that, I cheer them on as they follow Jesus. I can't be disappointed with God's will, right? Whatever that looks like. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about people who just walk away from church, walk away from the body of Christ, walk away from what God's doing. You know, I find that all churches have problems. And so often the people who walk away from church, what they do is they wander from place to place looking for some idealized version that doesn't exist anywhere. There will always be problems. 
People plus personalities equal problems. There will always be friction. There will always be misunderstandings. There will always be missteps. There will even, to a great degree, always be mistakes. So-and-so didn't talk to me. So-and-so did talk to me. So-and-so's kid, the pastor... Here's the other thing about church. There will always be ups and downs. But here's the thing. This thing's worth being faithful to. This thing's worth fighting for. What would it take for you to stop church? What would it take for you to... There's a good one. Oh... Gritty in our ministry, gritty in our membership, gritty in our mindset. What would it take for you to stop you? You know what? So often I'm the biggest hindrance I face. Because I don't always feel like it. I don't always feel like reading my Bible. I don't always feel like praying. I don't always feel like soul winning. I don't always feel like being here. I don't always feel like it. How many of us know, boy, it's easy to give ourselves a pass. It's easy to let ourselves off the hook. I think that's one of the biggest things that's hurt the church since COVID is people just got used to not being here. And, and we've, when we talk about our attendance numbers, I praise the Lord. We're, we're looking great. But the church at large, I saw an article the, uh, this past week, and it said church attendance has, has cratered since COVID and has not recovered in general in America and in the world. Why is that? Because people just got used to not going. And now... It's real easy to give yourself a pass. Why you still don't go? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If I'm going to make a difference, it's going to take grit. It's going to take grit. Not only did Paul show us by way of his testimony that in order to make a difference, it's going to require that we have some grit, have some backbone. I want you to see what else he says Look at verse, beginning of verse number three. Oh, I got to get moving. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Uh, Number one, if we're going to make a difference, church, it's going to require what? It's going to take some grittiness. Number two, if we're going to make a difference, it's going to take genuineness. Genuineness. Hey, motives matter to God. It's not enough that we just stick with it. But we've got to stick with it for the right reasons. And Paul here, he begins to lay out how he sees ministry both as an opportunity and as an obligation of stewardship before God. God had entrusted Paul with all he had. 1 Timothy 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says this, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. The ministry that Paul had had been entrusted to him by God. Now this 
framed how Paul handled the ministry. And this framed the humility in which Paul ministered. Paul ministered to honor God and to help men. To honor God and to help men. Church, if we're going to make a difference, it requires that we do the right thing for the right reason. And that, as Paul points out, requires us to have a steward's head and a servant's heart. What is a steward's head? The idea of stewardship, it recognizes that I am but a manager of the gifts and opportunities that God has given me. In fact, to the point we, we, we recognize that even my next breath is entrusted to me by him for him. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 2 of stewardship, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We see... Uh, what do we need to be faithful over? What is God the owner over? Psalm 24.1 tells us that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means everything in my life belongs to God. And I am but a manager. My life belongs to God. My wealth belongs to God. My kids belong to God. My spouse belongs to God. My house belongs to God. My car belongs to God. This church belongs to God. My Sunday school class belongs to God. My music belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. I'm but a manager. I am but a manager of what God has given. And the job of a steward, the job of a manager, is simply to do what the owner wants him to do. Let me ask you, what has God given you? What has God given you to do? How and who has God given you to serve? That's the steward's head. But the steward's head also has to go with the servant's heart. Because the servant's heart recognizes that it's not about me. It's not about my glory. And it's not about my gain. That I am here to bless others in Jesus' name. As soon as I become my focus, I begin to selfishly manipulate, don't I? As soon as I become my focus, I begin to selfishly manipulate or leverage other circumstances for my own gain or glory. But if I'm truly going to make a difference for Jesus, there can be no ulterior motives. I love what Paul says. He says, our exhortation was not of deceit. It was not of guile. In verse 5 he says, neither at any time used we flattering or manipulative words We didn't have a cloak of covetousness. We weren't after your stuff or your money. He said, we didn't seek glory of you or of anybody else. He served to honor God and to help men. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of damage that's done by ministers. And when I say minister, we got to understand every Christian, every member is supposed to be a minister. A lot of damage is done by by selfish charlatans who minister for gain who minister for glory for the praise of men or for acceptance it's not about me it's not about me here at this church it's not about me as a parent or as a husband it's not about me it's not about me as a friend it's about him if we're going to make an impact with our lives, we must be true, sincere, genuine in ministry. Church, do you want to make an impact? Church, do we want to make an impact? What's it going to take? Number one, it's going to take some grittiness. Number two, it's going to take some... We've got to be genuine. 
I want you to see number three. Let's just read verses seven and eight if we could. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. It's going to take some grittiness. It's going to take us being genuine. Lastly tonight, it's going to take graciousness. It's going to take graciousness. Paul was not just a man of grit. Paul was a man of grace. By the way, those two are not necessarily in competition with one another. Sometimes we feel like if we've got to be strong, then we have to be severe, and that's not the case. Being an individual with some grit, some backbone, and being an individual with some grace, they don't need to be in competition. There's no conflict between grit and grace. Paul here provides the illustration as a nurse or a nursing mother. I think it's a little bit weird that Paul refers to himself in terms of a nursing mother. But Paul used weirder things at times to get the point across. Galatians 4 verse 19, for instance. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. So you know what, Paul? You do you. But uh, at any rate, Paul here pictures himself as a nursing mother. Now, you think about that. There is hardly a more grace-filled relationship than a mother with her baby. You know what? When Timothy cries, it's what's wrong, honey? What can I do? How can I help? You're okay, buddy. Mama's here. When I get in her face and cry, not the same reaction. (laughs) Not the same reaction. You think about the care. The grace-filled relationship of a mother with a baby. That mama don't even bat an eye when, shall we say, things get a little messy. Why? Because that is a relationship that overflows with grace. There is an intensity to the pain of personal care that Paul is testifying of having for this church. And here's the truth we have to remember. If we're going to make a difference, the spiritual growth of those that God has entrusted to our care is not something that we can delegate to a spiritual babysitter. We must live, minister, and serve with grace, love, and compassion even when they're needy, even when they're difficult, Or can I continue the analogy even when things get a little bit messy? I can't believe I'm done with them. I've tried. No, even when things get a little bit messy. And of some have compassion. Making a difference. You know what grace is? Theologically, we would say grace is unmerited favor. Grace is undeserved kindness. But if I might continue the analogy along a little bit further even. Grace costs something. It's not just this feeling of being a nice person. Grace 
costs something. When we see the verse, for by grace are ye saved through faith, we know that costs something. It wasn't just a general feeling of warmth between individuals. No, grace costs something. So to draw out the analogy, if I might, being a parent costs something. It costs something to be a parent. Paul, in a letter to the church of Corinth, another church he wrote to, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse number 14, he says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come unto you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not, your, uh, I seek not yours, but you, for the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. In other words, it's not the children's job to, to take care of mom and dad. It is mom and dad's job to take care, to provide, to direct, to care for the children. I think about the sacrifices my parents made for me over the years. Now that I'm called upon to make similar sacrifices, I marvel at the sacrifices my mom and dad made for me. I marvel. It costs something to be a parent. But you know what? If we're going to be gracious, we're going to make a difference, guess what? It's going to cost something. A Christianity that costs nothing changes nothing. You know, we looked at 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Go ahead and put that back up, Liz, if you would. Paul talked about how the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I want you to see the very next verse, the application Paul makes. He says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And church, if we want to make an impact in this community, if we want to make an impact in our homes, if we want to make an impact in this church, that's the standard. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And that's, if that's not enough, look what he says. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. You want to make a difference? That's the standard. That's a good one to memorize. Mark in your Bible. Write it down. Write it on the mirror at home before you leave your house, before you face your kids or your spouse. That's the standard. You see, a life of impact is not a nine-to-five job. The life of impact is not a Sunday-Wednesday thing. And if we're going to make a difference, we cannot be afraid or resentful of the cost. You want to make a difference, church? Church, do we want to make a difference? The Apostle Paul gives the testimony here of his time in Thessalonica. He points out a couple things. It's going to require, number one, it's going to take some grittiness. Number two, it's going to take some... And number three, it's going to take some graciousness. Because here's the thing. When it's all said and done, I want the landscape around me to be different because I've been here. I want to make an impact. I want people's lives to be different because I've been here. 
I want to make an impact. I want my family to be different because I've been here. I want to make an impact. And so tonight, church, we are going to pause at this time, and we're going to go to prayer. And Church, I want to encourage you, pray for the many things that were mentioned earlier. Church, we need to, we need to pray together for these things. But I want you to pray as well tonight, church. Lord, would you help me make a difference? And no doubt, no doubt, as the Lord did with me in the study, there, there was something in this sermon, something in this passage, something that the Holy Spirit just brought to mind that said, you know what, you want to make a difference? You're going to need a little more grittiness. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit says, you know what, you want to make a difference? You're going to need to be a little more gracious. You're going to have to be willing to pay that price. Whatever it is tonight, let's get with God. And let's ask Him to make a difference in our lives so that we can make a difference in this world for His glory.